0: speaker this evening is Hal Holloway. He is in sales and travels and serves cities with materials that they need to serve their citizens. He has called in and joined us by way of phone through conference call as far away as California. His wife is a champion barrel racer and Hal is a man of God and former hot air balloonist. Great. Well, (laughs) Hal come and bring us the word, brother. Thank you, guys. We call um uh, balloonatex actually. <laughs> <laughs> Good evening guys. Good evening, Good evening. Let's see If I got myself somewhat prepared here for this. This has been an interesting piece. I don't know if you guys read through our uh our uh, text for this evening. It's uh four verses, but it is just filled. Absolutely filled. With uh amazing amount of information. That I think as John got older in his life, he just continued to make it more and more in-depth and stronger and stronger. I want to start off this evening with prayer. If you all would join me. Father God, I thank you for this glorious day, Lord. I thank you for the blessings that you bestow upon our lives, Lord. I thank you for the touch that you give us, for the attention that you give us, Father God, the focus that you have on us. And tying in Pastor Allen's sermon from Sunday, that we have greatness in you. It is through you that we have all we have. Amen. Father God, thank you. Walk with us this evening, Lord. Touch our hearts. Help us to ask good questions and help us to have good answers. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. So we're talking about First John verses, 5, excuse me, five twelve through fifteen, but. I wanted to back up a little bit because even though I've called in on most of these, I haven't called in on all of them. I uh, wanted to touch a couple of things about this book. Um, even though John doesn't sign this, it is actually attributed to him. Every every commentary I read says it's style, it's his form, it's his way of writing. They couldn't see another person who would have written it. There are some modern-day people who who throw all kinds of names at it. But I think some of that is just trying to muddy the water there. Um, who was it sent to? Anyone know? Who was this letter focused uh, towards? It, it was. It, it's it's thought that it was sent to actually Roman Asia, and around the Ephesus area, not necessarily Ephesus, but it but again like. Like most of the letters that happened back then, they were traveling documents. They would go from church to church to church to church to church, probably until they were tattered or they got framed and rolled up and stuck someplace, Um, normally on sheepskin, normally a written text. The purpose for 1 John is that it was written mainly to combat the false doctrines of denying either the incarnation of Christ that he came in humanity and true physical form, or the messiahship of Jesus, (laughs) that he was the Christ. And John has spent time writing this to correct these dangers and also also to give positive encouragement about the true benefits that a true Christian believer can enjoy. And it's centered on the fellowship of Christ. Um, I wanted to go back to the starting of the fifth chapter because most of this chapter ties together. One verse ties to the next, which ties to the next. There's a couple of page breaks in it, but the theme runs pretty consistent. So I wanted to start off with uh, John 5, 1. It says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God and that we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For whoever is born of God overcomes the world. This is the uh, the victory that has overcome the world. It is our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who also believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Brings us up to where Sheik was. I'm sorry. I jumped over somebody. Josh. Or, excuse me, Joseph. Joseph spoke on, uh, started, I believe, on 6, did he not? Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. It is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these these three are one. There are three that bear, bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and blood, and these three agree as one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which he has testified of his Son. He who believes that the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed the testimony of God that God has given of his son. Those are extremely heavy sentences. They have a lot of information in them. They really carry a lot of weight. John is writing with a with a solid line and a hard pen. I mean, he is not leaving any room for deviation in the things that he's writing. The words he writes are indeed exactly what he wants to say. He has left nothing open for interpretation. He wants people to be clarified in the misconceptions that they have in their church in that area. He wants them back on track, and he wants them going in a direction that he feels should be done. To the text we have this evening. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may continue in to to believe in the name of the Son of God. I'm I'm going to break this into two parts. So the first two verses we're going to talk about here. By what authority does John say these things about Jesus? Anybody know? What authority does John have to write this letter? John's John's an eyewitness. John's an eyewitness. And a hand witness. Things we've seen with our eyes and our hands have handled, You open the book with. Sorry. <laughs> I, I read that part too. <laughs> so what does it mean to be a witness, an eyewitness? First off, you can be a witness to something that happened. You can witness the sun come up in the morning. Everybody can witness the same thing. You can all perceive it a different way. What is it like? Uh, what's the meaning of an eyewitness? It means that you were physically there viewing it with your own eyes, correct? Mm-hmm. How many people are needed to have a testimony of an eyewitness? With, with Hebrews or two. With Hebrews, it's two. Right. In a high Hebrew court, it's actually three. Interesting how God has a testimony about himself, his son, and the Holy Spirit. Interesting how they tie the same three together, that if God could witness against himself with a testimony of three, then obviously a high court can also do the same thing. Um, Who taught John? The Holy Spirit did? Also his experiences of being on the ground? His traveling how how much traveling did John do compared to what Paul did and what the other guys did? Does anyone happen to know that? I don't believe Paul traveled as or excuse me John traveled as much as Paul did. I I, I believe John spent most of his time sending uh, sending people, sending instructions, and sending written letters because he was focused on a very large area. He had he had most of Asia, so it would be. It would be very hard to trek out and start going from place to place to place to place. The word was traveling so fast that word was coming back to him. He would hear about everything that was happening and then turn around, write a letter, send send someone with that letter to go interpret it to them and spend time with them. Um,
1: base.
0: Was just- Ephesus was his... Ephesus is, yeah, that's where he spent most of his time. Not that far from Patmos. What's interesting is when, when we talk about the things that they John talks about, when we talk about the eyewitness, when we talk about the things it takes, when they wrote the Magna Carta years ago, it was the two witness and three witness for a high court is exactly the way the Magna Carta is structured as far as a court system goes, and that's exactly the way the U.S. court system works today. We drew the U.S. Constitutional Court out of the Magna Carta almost word for word the Magna Carta was written around what was happening bi- uh, biblically at that time. What is the foundation of all testimony? What's the anchor that every testimony has in common? It's supposed to be truthful. Bingo. Oh, he won a book. Yes, he did. Oh. <laughs> a testimony is always grounded in truth and in God's world it's absolute truth because he cannot lie when we start off in verse 11 cuz i have to back up into shakes talk from last week cuz again they overlap 11 12 and and 13 kind of run together as John talks about this, he puts aside the unbeliever. Now he's talking to Christians. When he starts this next next verse in 11, actually, does somebody want to reread 11? The testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life. This life is in the Son. So he's he's changed from talking about people that have access to God, so now he's talking about people that are in God's family. He puts aside the unbeliever and surmises that the blessing granted to the believer who receives and responds to the testimony of God. Whoever God offers the testimony, whoever receives the testimony, is, is the recipient of God's word, God's blessing. It is yours to have. It's yours to reach out and take. This is the testimony that in the middle of verse 9, it is for this is the witness of God. There it looks back to what is called the first testimony, that of water, blood, and spirit. There seems to also include a further testimony, which according to verse ten, the believer receives in his heart. So you have the testimony of 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 uh, Christ in spirit, water, and blood, and then you have the testimony of the person receiving God's gift, God's word. Am I making sense? Thank you. I'm hoping I am. It becomes more plain when we consider what God has given or what God gave. Because God has given and he has rightfully gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. To what event does this gift of life refer? With Repeat the question. (laughs) (coughs) To what event does this gift of life refer? Eternal life with God in heaven for eternity. Undisputed, (laughs) undeniable, John wrote it down and said, this is how it is. Not eternal life here, but eternal Etern- life there. You have eternal life here. It's just that this place is going away. <laughs> <laughs> I need someone to read 1 John and, uh, 1-2. So go back to the front of John and see if Pastor Allen, you're, you're going to read what we just spoke about. Somebody else pull up John ten ten. I got John ten ten. Okay. Pastor who whoever has uh, uh, 1 uh first John one two? The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. So the manifestation of life is a gift. Manifestation is a gift. Um uh, John ten ten. The thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and destroy. I come that I may have, come that they may have life, and may have life more abundantly. Okay, can you move on down to 28? And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and shall shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Someone have John seventeen two? Well, we're going to do a bunch of these guys, so just, just jump in and read them, please. I have it. Okay. Even as you just two. Yes. Seventeen two. 17, two. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that you all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. And also see First John three fourteen. Back in the same book that we're in now. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. The one, the one who does not love remains in death. Very good. So do these not all tie in together with the two verses we're talking about right now? It's it's amazing how God just keeps plowing back in, in, in information from other other letters, the law, wherever it comes from, he just continues to plow back in behind so that everything you read is is actually substantiated one, two, three, four or five times. God will witness himself throughout the whole entire New Testament, ongoing and constant. Historically, God's testimony concerning Jesus is not only that he is the divine human Christ, but, the, but that he also is the life giver, the savior of the world. Not only is he the son, but in him is life, eternal life, which is emphatic and in, and in the sentence, the testimony that it is eternal life which God has given His Son, who empowers eternal life. It was God's gift. Who's in control of eternal life? Um, anybody else? We are. We are. We are the recipient of it. Yes. Okay. Did God relinquish all? Authority to Christ in this arena. So, does God control eternal life? He's handed it off to Christ. Christ is the manager of eternal life. It is through (laughs) His death and resurrection that He's he's worthy. Does it make sense to you, Pastor Alan? Yes. Okay. Have I strayed at all? (laughs) All authority has been given to me. Exactly. But this testimony is not only objective to Christ as the life giver, but subjective in that the gift of life itself. He not only has the object of the of the ability the the how do I say this? He has the possession within himself to give, and he's also capable of giving it. When he gives it, it is another gesture. It is another. It it obtains another uh, another purpose. <clears throat> It goes from a gift to a given. Does that make sense? Okay. Got to stay on track here. From a gift to a given? Correct. Eternal life is a free gift which God gives to those who believes in his Son and the gift of life. The experience of fellowship with God through Christ which is eternal life? John seventeen two and three. I think we had John seventeen two a minute ago. <coughs> Someone have it? Which verse? John seventeen two and three. As thou hast given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him, and this is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God and Jesus whom thou hast sent. That's pretty amazing. If you stop and think about that, if 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 you had no other advantage in your life till the day you died, that is a huge, huge advantage. When you enter into that, you're walking with God. As John has previously written, anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Back on to verse 10. But the second half says, he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. The actual meaning In in both uh, sentences, is the life. He who has eternal life has the life. He who does not have eternal life does not have the life. The alternative is clear. It's uncompromising and it's important. You either have God or you don't. You are not half pregnant. You either are or you're not. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. You're either in it or you're not. Eternal life can only be found in God's Son, and may be found nowhere else. It is impossible to have a life without having Christ, as it is to have Christ without thereby having life also. This is because the Son is the life. Back to verses one and two. Uh, that we spoke about earlier, that I believe Pastor Allen read, and John 11.25. Someone have that? John wrote a lot about John. John 11.25. I don't hear Joe piping in here. I got it. You should have said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even..." <clears throat> If he dies, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this question? Yes. And can you slide on down to 14.6 in the same book? Yeah, 14.6. Yeshua said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Isn't it interesting how how modern society says, where does it say that in the Bible? And yet the Bible, when you read it and you go back digging for it, it just keeps coming up over and over and over again. Christ said, I am the way. God said, I have one way. You have sinned, and I have made a way that you can redeem yourself, and that's the way. And every other, every other religion tries to do it a different way. Uh, Christianity is the only only group that humbles themselves first and then comes to God through acceptance of, of an offer that God has offered. Everybody else, it's works. It's works, works, works. And some, it's pretty nasty works. With no hope. hmm Exactly. There are three important truths taught in these verses about eternal life. First off, it is not a prize which can be earned, or could earn, but an undeserved gift. Secondly, it's found in Christ, so that in order to give us life, God both gave and give us His Son. He made us a gift of His Son. Third, this gift of life in Christ is a present possession. True that it is further described as, oh man, <laughs> Greek words. I hate Greek words. A word that means belonging to uh, uh, to the age, or the age to come. But since the age to come was broken into in this age by uh, by Christ, the age to come, namely eternal life, can be received and enjoyed here and now. Does that make sense? It was set up to be something. It was actually set up to be something to come. But because Christ came, it's here now. Because he brings it now. Pretty awesome, <clears throat> actually. The second two verses. What do I have have them so well. This is only my first manuscript, by the way. I, I I've got four more. To go through at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Page two. Page two. Looks like I edited that out, so let's go. Should just follow up into First John because I've been there all week. It's interesting to travel and try and do this at the same time. John 5.14, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, and if we know what he hear, excuse me, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have petitions that we have asked of him. Pastor Allen and I talked about this a little bit, about confidence, having confidence in uh, prayer. Coming before God, that the veil is torn, that that we now have access to God. Um, well, tell us what that means. That torn. In the in the old in the Old Testament, when the Israelites set up God's tent, in order that no one could see the seat of God. They had this big veil built. They had an inner circle. They had an inner circle inside of that. That anyone that looked upon the face of God died. And that would happen yet right now. But the veil was there as a barrier between mankind and God. When Christ died, the veil between God and man was taken down. It was torn. And it was torn in such a way that it couldn't be fixed, from what I understand. And it opens access to God directly from us to him. I don't believe we can still look in God's face. I think if we looked in God's face today, we'd still fall down dead. Because we're still a sinful being. We're still made of the same nature. But we have access to God through Christ. We have direct access to God. We don't have to use a high priest. We don't have to use their court system. We don't have to buy an offering. We don't have to give an offering. The offering was paid with Christ. Yes? Mm-hmm. Well, i just love to hear it over my... <laughs> The veil is torn, yes. Why do you use the word confident instead of faith? Because you have both. You can be confident in the fact well, for uh, uh, for example, when Jonah was told by God to go preach to the people in Nineveh, he knew God was going to save those people. And he probably knew he was a good enough preacher to where they were going to listen to him. Now, just because he didn't want to go didn't mean the rest of that was not true. So he went to Nineveh by way of the sea of fish... And then back to Nineveh. And he achieved God's plan. And then he went and pouted about it because he knew God would do it. He still had the confidence in knowing that God was going to do what God was going to do. And he also had the the faith of knowing that if he went and did his best job, then he would be working in God's will to help that happen. He didn't want it to happen. It was not what he personally wanted. But he went in confidence, knowing that that would happen. Make sense? You know, I, I, when you, but you mix that with the uh, whatever you ask or receive, and confidence, he was sent mm-hmm. by God on a mission. In prayer, I'm usually asking for something for me. I'm not asking for the city to be saved. But if you can have confidence, you can have confidence in the fact that what you ask God if it's in his will, you're going to get it. Period. But you still have to have the faith, all right? I mean, if you're going to have the confidence, you've still got to have the faith with it. I think, here's how I see it. I am confident God hears us. Amen. Right? Mhm. And I have faith that his will is going to be done. And I'm not always sure what that is when my faith is in him. But I know, I don't have to even hope that he's going to hear me. I right. know he does. Correct. So it's That's quiet. right. Faith is right. for the realm of it's the evidence of the things not seen. But so it's almost like confidence is seen. I mean, I'm confident Martin Amador is in this room. Right. I have faith that God is here. Correct. So what's your okay. definition? I'm sorry. Confidence is a growing thing. It, it evolves, to get stronger or not. In 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 the Webster's sense. Interesting, Faith right. You either have or you don't have. Yeah. You know, it's not an in-between deal. Well, I think the confidence is based, at least in this verse, the confidence in this verse is based upon the character of God. We know the character of God, and we know that his will is to have something done. He's going to answer it. Now, the answer may not be the ones that we think is going to happen. I, we may pray for healing, but God may not bring it right away because he wants some character to grow, to come out of it. But eventually, there will be a healing the healing might be spiritual, it might be physical there there's one right there right uh, uh, there's one right there healing healings the bottom line of what we're here for for me as my as I understand that's I mean that's, that's it otherwise we may as well be going boldly. which is what I did all day. I also believe and you know, confidence. Yes, it is. It is on us, but our confidence is also built through our faith in God mm-hmm. that He provides and reveals unto us. For having our faith, that also enables to build up our confidence within Him more okay. to carry out His missions, His duty, and His will mm-hmm. on this earth. Because the two actually tie in together, pretty much parallel to each other. Yeah. Because without right. one or the other, you won't. You won't have faith in confidence or confidence in faith without the faith coming first in God. Yeah. Right. So your confidence can exceed right. that and okay. try up, a, try up above men to lead an example through confidence that is baseline on your foundation of faith. Very good. Very for good. for me to go out and have confidence in myself to boldly talk to you, which I've done before, about what we're doing here. <clears throat> and then I get on the subject of healing, spiritual healing and so forth that we discussed your wife and my wife have discussed that too, the way. <laughs> If you see it and it happens, perceive it. Spiritual or physical healing. Bam! And it grabs
1: you. happened a, to me right here in the front that man pardon. right there.
0: Put his hands on me with another. You are, you're, you are and the, an eyewitness, in faith. eyewitness and fake eyewitness but that bit of fine right. I can go I can. I now have a testimony. Mm-hmm. Right. I now have a testimony. It's not something that and I believe a pastor speaks the truth and the other the others that speak. But when I'm involved in the middle of it over and over again, the more I look, the more I expect, the more I have faith in it, the more it happens, the more confidence I have to talk about. It. I'm hungry, uh, uh, in, yeah. In the court systems, you know, when they call an eyewitness, they ask that, that eyewitness to give their testimony. Yes. And you just said, I'd give my testimony. Right. That right. goes back to what you originally started at. Exactly. from. If it come from? If you, if, you, if you have a math question, yes. math is a pretty finite subject, right? Math yes. has a beginning and end. It's a finite thing. If you add one and one together, what do you come up with? Those. How many times do you come up with that? Every time. Every time. Do you have confidence in knowing that if you have one of these and one of these, you now have two of them? Correct? That's confidence. When you talk about boldness, that's another emotion. That's another, that's another measure. When you talk about faith, that's also another measure. That's right. But confidence is the fact that you know in your knower that you know. That's right. Down deep inside, you know it. So, how do we stay away from arrogance? Because if we know it, and we know it, and we know it, and we, it time, and we do it every time, and we do it every time, and we do it every time, and either becomes complacent, or you're on the risk of it becoming arrogant. You know this so well that you know it. One plus one is two, and I know it. And I don't care what you tell me. One plus one is two, and I'm going to stick by my guns. How do you stop from becoming arrogant? I think the key is in the verse, and have confidence in this, that... He, it's Him, and Him. And, and him. our confidence is in Him. It gives us the boldness to have faith and all those things. So as long as we stay rooted that our confidence comes through Him and all that we have is bestowed by Him, then that's not arrogance. It's then arrogance, arrogance shifts yes. when I begin to think it comes of me. That's right. Arrogance <laughs> happens exactly right. Arrogance happens when it becomes about me. Yeah, my confidence is not in my confidence. My faith is not in my faith. And Him. Exactly. Right. So we try and stay in humility, or stay yeah. humble. So how do we let air, how come we let arrogance creep in? Because we all do it. We're pride, we're pri- we're just, pride, pride. So we're, we're, <laughs> we're, we're dealing with our flesh. We're competitive. It's, so. it's too okay. simple. It's too simple. Well, <laughs> you just said, okay. Okay. What about the but other, there's other two way? Ways. There's two ways. you deliver what you're doing to me. There's only two ways. One is arrogantly, I don't know it all, and the other is with compassion. You've spoken with compassion tonight. As long as you keep what he just said about remembering with a source, the source is love, love is compassion, period. The arrogance goes away. Okay. Well, this is the reason that the gift is so important, There's the Amen. concept of the gift. Right. Amen. You know, and not worse. That's one of the, well, the reasons reason they said that you know, when Christ taught, it was as he knew all the scriptures, yeah. but he had never been to the school it's, be because, it's because he knew the Scripture. Because he knew, and it's his true. confidence was in that, yeah. in God, and not in the book, and not in himself. Yeah. He was not operating in his own need. words that I speak of his father? Exactly. Right. So, so how, about, how about we take this a, a completely <clears throat> different direction? How do inferior feelings creep in? Mm. Voice. Inferior feelings creep in. Okay. If you have confidence in God, and your confidence comes from God... Why do you let inferior feelings creep in? The devil. The devil made you do it? Well, the devil's part of it. Condemnation. <laughs> Condem- <laughs> self-condemnation. Yep. plus It's kind of like... It's pride again. Yeah. Yeah. looking at yeah. myself again. I think a lot yep. Because in the Bible it says, for whom much is given, of him much is required. So the more you give of that person, to a person, the more he can boast himself of, the more he's going to have, the more of a chance he is to fall because of pride the more understanding you acquire, the more, yeah. required, the more yeah. cocky you get. Right. Mm-hmm. And the and the devil will take the truth and just slightly twist it to the point where you get to that inferior, inferior thought process. You know, you know. Yeah, you really are not good enough. Well, yeah, I know I'm not good enough, but he'll take that and pile it on, right? Mm-hmm.
1: You really are not good enough. Yeah, yeah. James,
0: you're right. You're Somebody want to open up the twenty third song? <laughs> Well then, Dan, you ought to know it. Let's hear it. Just go ahead and quote it. I've been reading it from, from four different Bibles. <laughs> well then, then I absolutely want to hear it from you then. Uh, uh, I'll read it from this uh, messianic uh, <laughs> tree. Okay. And that is, it should be a dented page here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Your head's been down in prayer. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, no, there's a, here he can tell you about uh, Adonai is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, which I wonder about. Well, he makes me lie down in green pastures. That I don't quite understand. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of the death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. You your staff me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of life. You have anointed my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of Adonai forever. Isn't it, you know, I've, I, I really want those, those two guys following me around. Uh, goodness and mercy, they can follow me anywhere. Amen. They really can. Is, is that not a statement of confidence? Isn't that a solid statement of confidence, knowing that God is going to watch over me, he's going to care for me, he's going to have a presence for me, he's going to present me before my enemies, he's going to have me live in his house, all the days of my life. That's an amazing statement of confidence. The second half of the 23rd song. Pastor Allen's message Sunday. If you weren't here, download it. Listen to it. It's excellent. Exactly. He talks <laughs> He talks about greatness. He talks about greatness and greatness is a is a amazing at- attribute. Greatness runs hand in hand with confidence. As we head into verse 15, anybody got any questions? Asking guys if they got any questions. How how silly is that? John now moves forward into the second of confidence enjoyed by a believing Christian, not of eternal life, but of answered prayer. The assurance is not so much of a knowledge, although knowing results in knowledge. It's a freedom of speech, a parousia, parousia which, which is boldness in approaching God. P a r r e s i a. You have it, Elm? uh, Pastor. Um, I'll just. Okay. okay. In this we have access to God and fellowship with him which constitute the eternal life of which John has has been writing Christian confidence belongs not just in the future but in the uh, parousia which is the second coming which is in verse 2 uh first uh, John 2:28 can somebody jump on that real quick okay and also first John 4:17 somebody jump on that 2, First John two uh, two twenty eight yes. Can I check these all. I hope I hope they're all right. Somebody want to read it? Okay. And now little children, abide in him that he shall appear. We may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Okay. And what about four seventeen? Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Okay, so the Christian confidence belongs to not just just the future, but is, it is here and now as well. It these, these two verses both describe the manner of our approach to God, free and bold, and our expectation of its outcome, namely that he hears us. Pastor Allen spoke about. I know he hears me. He has confidence in knowing that God hears him. The qualification, however, is that if we ask anything according to His will, that's the caveat. It is. It is. It's our responsibility to pursue God's will for us. That's our. That's It, it isn't a burden. I've heard people call it that, and I'm like, it's not a burden. But it's God's will that all men be saved. We know that. That's a guaranteed, stamped in stone. God wants no one to go to hell. He wants every person to go to heaven. The opportunity is there for all, for all, for all men. Would you, in, would you agree that His will is that He wants the best for each of us? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Because when you talk about predestination, you talk about the fact God has predestined that he wants us all in heaven. That is a statement that is absolutely correct. The question is not whether you want the best for all of us. The yeah. problem is that we don't necessarily understand what the best is. That's right. Is. We can't recognize <laughs> you yeah. yeah. Exactly. I, I wasn't. I wasn't. Yes. The Cadillac well, salesman wants us to believe <laughs> <laughs> That that I, want, wisdom, I want that you to only get along. the best Exactly. exactly.
1: Well, I think whatever that's according as
0: well. I think by Not saying that, that he want wants the best for us, it, it really means that he wants us all to become Christ like Exactly. Amen. Someone have three twenty two? Which one? John, uh uh first John three twenty two. And <clears> whatsoever <throat> we ask we receive a him, because we his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. That, by the way, is a very good read. I don't know if you guys get a chance. If if you guys wind up with one of these. Otherwise, you'll have to buy your own. Because I didn't bring enough. In 322... The condition of answered prayer is whether our behavior accords with God's commands and here, whether our requests are in accord with his will. Prayer is not a convenient device for imposing your will upon God or bending his will to ours, but, but the prescribed way of subordinating our will to his It is by prayer that we seek God's will, embrace it, and align ourselves with God's will. The fast car is gone, isn't it? Hear that, JP? The fast car is gone. I like how you said align ourselves with God's will. Because in the end, it's ultimately our choice, our issues, uh, whatever else we decide to do with ourselves is can line up with God or can line up away from God. God's will has never moved from the beginning of time. Exactly. So Correct. Our choice is to line up. I think that's goes back to the principle of what God up for us. I'm going to give them that choice of choice.
1: You're exactly right. Generating
0: in your heart our hearts to make the right choice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, because every true prayer is a variation of your will be done. Mm. Jesus taught us that in the most patterned prayer that he gave us and added the supreme example in Gethsemane. The Lord's prayer is his way of teaching us thy will be done. Mm. But he also lived it out himself. Your will be done. If this cup can pass, but if not your will be done in such prayers he hears us it is it is as if he takes notes on our on our excuse me it is a, it is it, as if he takes notes on our petitions and in addition he listens favorably to us john 931 Someone have that, Gary. You hey, you've been awful quiet back there. I'm with you. let go up with nine thirty one for us, if you would. Nine thirty one. Yeah, John nine thirty one. And someone else look up eleven forty one and forty two. <laughs> I think Joe Duncan should have that. Eleven. Yeah. Forty one and forty two. John eleven. You got it, Gary? No, I we don't. Well it's not in your Bible. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> Joey, you wanna jump in on 11? eleven? Eleven forty one? Yeah, eleven forty one and forty two. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Hmm. Are you there, Gary? Yeah. Yeah, we know that God heareth no sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him be here. Very good. Thank you. <laughs> I don't take him back. But if you talk too long, you'll be in Yes, if you talk too long, you're going to wind up with one. <laughs> the Christian Assurance is a double certainty, which in reality is really only one. To say we know that he hears us is the same as saying we know that we have what we have asked him of. It means one and the same. The present tense of we have or we have obtained is reminiscent of Mark 11.24. Greg, you there? Yes. JP, you there? <laughs> Therefore I tell you all the things you pray and ask for. Believe that you have received them and you will have them. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them. So that your Father in heaven will also forgive you your wrongdoing. Mm-hmm. But what Next but if you do not forgive neither will your father who is in heaven forgive for your yep. so what we've obtained is reminiscent of Mark 11:24, where we are told to believe we did receive what we request and so it shall be <coughs> our petitions are granted at once Immediately. We just have to wait on the timing. And the only condition to all of this is we can't pray backwards. <clears throat> you can't say, Lord, last week, change that. Because God, as far as I know, won't. He only moves forward. Can someone pull up 1 John three twenty-one through 23? I've got two of these left. Did I give you one of these? I got one of these left. Three, what was the twenty one through twenty three. You're just wanting this book, aren't you, Joe? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I I know you, Joe. Joe's actually one of those fiscally conservative guys. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him, because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. And this is His commandment, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. Thank you. God desires that we know him and love him as he as he really is. We need to learn to long for our spiritual home with him in heaven. We learn through weakness that this earth is not our home. That that in the current creation it is twisted by human sin and that God will replace it with a perfect one. God will not answer prayers in a way that will distort our perception of His nature, or or the fallen state of this world. If you pray for a distorted view of what God is or what God wants, He isn't. He isn't going to hear you. He just is not to hear it. It doesn't follow His will. He will not answer our prayers in in, in a way that will distort our perception of his nature, or of the fallen state of this world. Some of our prayers go unanswered because they are not consistent with the nature of God. Sometimes God's reasons exceed our human capacity to grasp, and we just apply the principle of faith. God does not want us focused on making a living or anything that distracts from his interaction with us. God will God did not want the Israelites <coughs> focused on possessions. Read about the Sabbath year, the year of remission, and the year of jubilee, the year of returning, and see that God wants our permanent focus on him. He has provided the lamb for the sacrifice, atonement is complete, and now it's up to us. If you read about jubilee and if you read about the seventh year Sabbath, Things go back. What was mine is now yours again. He doesn't want you focused on things. He wants you focused on him.